millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. No surprise then that Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad were included in England's first test squad since the appointment of Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes. We'll review the 13 and hear from managing director Rob Key. We'll also be joined by the leading run scorer in the country as Ben Compton discusses his brilliant start to the 2022 season. And we'll also catch up with the leading wicket taker in Division 1, Hampshire's Keith Barker will be joining us. We'll also look at some of the other big talking points from round seven of the county championship and discuss the other big stories of the week. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. And straight into uh, the England squad of 13, which has been named for the first two tests. Thought there might have been uh, 14 or 15 for the first two tests, but just the 13 confirmed that Ollie Pope will bat at number three, having not done so in a first-class team before. Johnny Bairstow will bat at number five. Lots to, to talk about, Harmy. Um, they announced the squad, of course, a day after last week's show, so we've had six days to digest it, and I don't think you've fully calmed down yet, have you? No, I'm, I'm still struggling to work out. I was I wonder I was always wondering who picked this squad and how it was picked and the selection panel of Rob Key, managing director, Brendan McCullum, head coach, Ben Stokes, England Test Captain, Mo Bobat, performance director, James Taylor, head scout, David Court, player ID lead. Who on earth is David Court? And I'm not being nasty towards him. He yeah, he's got a job at the ECB and he's worked hard to get there. Why are they? Who was picking this squad? And I, I, I must admit, I'm, I, I'm perplexed to work out that. Yeah, I just make a noise for a living. I mustn't know the game because we are we're, we're one win from seventeen, and we're going back to a, a, a four five six of Root Stokes, Root's best of Stokes, who are our best players. But they are heavily they've been heavily involved in our one from seventeen. 
and you've got people who are at the ECB planning for every eventuality. We've got a coach who has never coached in a first-class class environment. We've got a number three who's never batted at number three in his in his entire life. We watched. I watched. And I and I'll I'll put my hands up. I was wrong here. I had a rant last week about the the fast bowlers getting injured, and then I see Matt Potts didn't play for Durham. I rang Neil Clean up, Durham's bowling coach. I was like, Killer, why is he not playing? I said, Matt Potts, not playing. And I said, he's going to play at Lords. He potentially could play at Lords next week or week after. He's never played a red ball game at Lords. Lords is a difficult place to, to bowl for the first time. In front of 25,000 people, surely it would have made sense from ECB to make that. He played in front of 1,500 people to get used to it. But then he came up with an answer, which was he's bowled a hell of a lot. And he was right. I was a million miles wrong by saying, you know, Durham should have picked him. Durham didn't need to pick him. The look at Matt Potts, he had bowled a lot of overs. And in that, he was it was right for him to have a rest. But it comes back to the planning department. If you've got a section that gets paid to plan for every eventuality, well, their list is endless that they've got completely wrong. But I look at the squad and I go, Brooks scored close to 900 runs so far this evening, averaging 150. He's not going to play uh, Potts, who's got 35 wickets in six games, not going to play because I can't see how he plays. But all the euphoria, Broad and Anderson coming back in. All of a sudden, I look at this team and I'm going, Anderson, Broad, Overton, Leach, and nothing against Jack Leach. He's, he stoked his man. But Jack Leach, is, the only wicket he's got this season is against Gloucester second team. And the realisation is we're one win from 17 against a very, very good side in New Zealand. I, I, I just, I was so uninspired about that squad. I thought we could have done a hell of a lot better because the headline was Brooklyn Potts, but the headline could be June 2nd, Brooklyn Potts not playing and same old England. I just want to go back to the sixth member of the selection panel. So if you hadn't heard of David Court, I just want to point out that my frustration is that if you haven't heard of him, then most of our listeners will not have heard of him. And the ECB has a very large communications department. And somebody might just have said, most people are not going to have heard of David Court. He might, as you said, we don't know anything about him. He might be eminently qualified. But somebody needs to think ahead and say, we need to introduce England fans to this man and explain what he does and why he's on the selection panel. That's it. That's my little rant. That's Manus, over with. Manus, um, Manus, on that, on that, the ECB communication panel... They put the squad out on their website and their list, and Joe Root was still captain. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you said it. And look, we promised we'd hear from Rob Key. Let's just um, hear, hear him a couple of sound bites um, explaining that Ollie Pope will bat at three and then his thoughts on Maddie Potts. Yeah, with a lot of these guys now, it's the, the bet is, is that with the talent that they have, this environment, these coaches, Brendan McCullum, Ben Stokes, can get the best out of one of our most, one of our most talented cricketers. Uh, and Ollie Pope is one of those that if, if, if we can unlock him, which I think they can, there's a seriously good um, test cricketer there. I think he could be a very, very good test match batsman. I think he'll do a fine job. That was Rob Key confirming Ollie Pope will bat at three. And this is him on the potential of Durham fast bowler Maddie Potts. Uh, from what we've seen, I've seen a lot of him on the stream, stuff like that. The scouts have seen a hell of a lot of him and they've seen his development. He's been involved in the pathway. So people like Mo Bobat, who's an excellent judge, actually, and been very good. They understand his character. And that's the one thing that really stood out when people are talking about it. There's a lot of people who can 
run in and get the ball down there at, a, at various uh, different paces. But it's the character, really. And I'm, I'm excited by someone of that age. When these injuries were happening and you start seeing someone like that emerge and you see the way he runs in, the way that he looks like, if you're facing him, you look like you're in a proper contest. They're the picks I get really excited about because you see and out of, out of an injury problem that we've got at the moment, some good will come out of it and it may be him. There's no place for an out-and-out fast bowler, Harmy, but are there any out-and-out fast bowlers fit at the moment? I mean, is there, who's the fastest bowler who's actually playing at the moment in England? Probably Jamie Overton, I would say. Jamie Overton, Matt Potts. That I think, listening to people talk about the tra- round the traps, that they're probably the two that are, ex- you know, of, of pierce that can sort of ruffle a batsman with these sort of older ball with a with a poor batch of Duke balls on a, on a sort of double side pitches. I'm saying that Matt Potts doesn't play for the simple fact is I don't see how the noise that of Broad and Anderson around that you're going to not pick Stuart Broad. Let's be fair, it's Broad that's the one that's vulnerable. I think Craig Overton's going to play because the, his ability to bat at number eight, it just shows you not only we haven't got enough fast bowlers, we're going back to the sort of late the sort of late 90s where we potentially have all our bowlers are number 10s and number 11s. And that is that is something that I think the England selection panel would be, would be looking at because of... The reason why we're one win from 17 is because we struggled to get 250 runs, especially in the first innings. So I think Overton probably gets the nod, which means if Potts is going to play, Stuart Broad doesn't play. And all the noise for the last two weeks has been about Broad and Anderson coming back. So that's my thoughts on why Potts, I don't think Potts would play. Would they keep Stuart Broad for Trent Bridge? I just think you've got to have something different. And if you've got to, if you've not got gone with uh, Parkinson, which is clearly don't fancy, then you have to pick Matty Potts. And that, for me, would be you know, would be a no-brainer. But I think there'll be a lot of criticism if England don't have a good week at Lords. They play Overton, Anderson and Broad. Then I'd just worry on you know, the body of Benjamin Stokes because you know if there's nothing in the surface and we use a batch of balls which, again, have not been up to speed, then all of a sudden our quickest bowler is our captain. And if... England don't get after a good start with a bat. It'd be a huge amount of pressure on his body from physically and mentally with the amount of bowling he might have to do and also making decisions from, from a captaincy point of view of rotating bowlers who potentially are not, not as effective if it's bright sunshine and a flat pitch. Just very quickly, you had Harry Brook at number five for the last month. He's got 800 runs at, at over 100, along with Ben Compton. So, so he's going to be carrying drinks, presumably. What do you say, and I'm assuming that many people come up to you and jab you in the chest and say, why don't we just bat Johnny Burstow at seven and, uh, and include Harry Brook at number five? Uh, and also, does it concern you at all that Ollie Pope doesn't have first-class experience at, at number three? Concerns me a little bit. Um, I look at some of the, the messages that have come out, Root going back to four. When he was at three, he solved a lot of problems. You know, he's more comfortable at four. He's not captain anymore. So, you know, if Ben Stokes wants him to bat at four, but I think if he batted at three, it would solve a lot more problems because Pope would fit in comfortably where he bats. Well, he's batted for a bit for 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 Surrey. We're going to have a number three who's never batted in first-class cricket, never mind in, in any other format of test match cricket. That would concern me a little bit, especially how frantic I've seen Ollie Pope in recent times in international cricket when he's batted, even batting it down at number five or number six, 
I thought was a no-brainer to put. If Johnny Bestow wasn't going to have two weeks off, three weeks off after the IPO, I thought he had to come back in and, and keep wicket. And I look at the squad, my team would have been Brooklyn at five, Bestow at seven. I would have kept Root at three, Pope at four, Brook five, Stoke six, Bestow seven. And then because of that, I can then potentially pick four, four my four best bowlers who are number 10s and hope that one of them can hang around with one of the top order. That's an explosive and that's a, that's a good top order. If they don't fire and don't get runs, then yeah, I'm asking questions about my, my sort of selections. But then I would have a chance to play a Parkinson who can get me something out of nothing. Broad Anderson and Potts, that would have been my team. But like I said, whatever I know, I just make a noise for a living. <laughs> oh, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Delighted to say, as promised at the top of the programme, we're joined live by Ben Compton to talk about what has been an extraordinary start by any standards, never mind his own personal story. 878 runs at an average of 109 with 400s and 450s. It is uh, is truly extraordinary. And uh, there are many cricket lovers around, not just in, in Kent, um, and in Canterbury, uh, who are saying, where has Ben Compton been? Where, how? Where, he's 28 years old. Where's he been? Ben, where have you been? Hi, man, as well. Thanks for having me on. Don't know where to start, really. I guess purely on a, a cricketing perspective, I'm obviously thrilled with the, the starts I've made for Kent. You know, I think to answer your question, where have I been? I've, it's a long story and a long road, but had to fight for an opportunity, mate. I had to... Uh, really graft to try and get into the professional game. I entered the professional game quite late by a lot of standards. Uh, after finishing university, I was probably, when I got my first contract at Nottinghamshire, and I played there for about two and a half years. Obviously, we were heavily hit by the... My first year of professional cricket would have been the pandemic year. Um, so that was obviously a huge knock, you know. And, um, and then post that, just struggled for an opportunity and signed for Kent uh, in October last year and I've just been purely and simply just been delighted to be awarded the opportunity to play and, and showing that support and backing and I've tried to really reward that faith the best I can. Ben, is it a message to you know, cricketers out there? You know, is there a couple of messages to cricketers out there and especially younger cricketers out there that if you want to fulfil your dream, don't yeah. give up first and foremost, which you didn't. Um, and is it also a message to people, to young cricketers who are at what are classed as the more fashionable counties, the bigger counties, that playing second team cricket and being associated with a big country isn't always the best way? Get out there, go and find your own pathway, and it will it will it will sort of uh, define you once you've sort of been given the chance to to sort of you know, to fulfil your 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 talents. Absolutely. Um, look, from my perspective, I've always I think I've had the belief in myself that I could perform well at first-class level. For a long time, I didn't know that because I hadn't played it. But um, I certainly had the belief in myself that I could. So I think that's what kept me going. And absolutely, you know, I think where I have struggled, essentially, is um, I haven't played a lot, you know. And like you said, I, I found myself in the second team at Knotts for a, for a couple of years and you know, the fastest way to get better, I think, is to play. I mean, that's uh, essentially, you know, what I think it's all about. So me having game time has been uh, huge. You know, and um, I'm glad I've hit the ground running. I went and had a really good winter in Zimbabwe. 
I know Dave Hartland quite well, and he he really helped me. He said, Compo, what are you doing this winter? And do you fancy playing some cricket in Zim? And um, and I took him up on the opportunity, and it was a fantastic experience, both on a cricketing front and also just a life experience, you know, to get out there and see a new part of the world and, you know, play some cricket. And I think that stood me in good stead uh, for the first game of the summer. It's very tempting, Ben, to apply the fairy tale matrix to your story. I mean, you know, I... I, I, I first met you when you were six years old and uh, you were playing cricket on on various outfields while while your dad, of course, who's a cricket writer, uh, was was up in the press box. So it's it's easy to sort of think, well, you've finally fulfilled the dream and this is what all you all you ever wanted. But actually, the reality, I think, is you're very grounded. I mean, you know, and it, it isn't quite that that simple, is it? It wasn't you weren't pursuing the dream of being a professional cricketer all your life. I mean, you've. You've um, you've seen a bit of the world, and it's only, perhaps only now, really, that 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 you are driven to to be a professional cricketer. Is that right? Yes, and no, man. As I think for a long time, I've, from a schoolboy, I, I essentially wanted to become a professional cricketer. Now, as a thirteen-year-old boy, that's commonplace. Everyone wants to be a professional sportsman <laughs> when they're thirteen, you know. But I was always driven in many respects, and I think. You know, I always looked at Nick as a role model, to be honest. Uh, he's, you know, and it's quite an interesting generational ladder in many respects in our family because Nick always looked at Dennis as a role model and someone he wanted to try and emulate, I guess. And I'm a bit, I'm 12 years younger than Nick. So I always, I think I had him as my my sort of model to try and see if I can forge a career for myself here in England. And, um, but yeah, in many respects, I've always had other interests and, you know, I've got a degree I studied, which I'm really grateful for and glad I did that. But, you know, deep down, my my drive was was to try and become a successful cricketer. And by no means am I, you know, I'm, I'm just getting started to be, to be blunt. You know, it's my first year of first team cricket. And, um, you know, I think I've, I've made a really nice start, which I'm very grateful for. And But, um, you know, the, the drive is to see how far I can go, man, it's absolutely... You, you talk about the nice start and you know everything that, that goes with it. You've done it in a good division. You've done it in the top division. You've done it in Division One against some, you know, some some fine sides. You know, Lancashire. You've come up against already. Like yeah. the Hassan Ali and the Yorkshire bowling attack. Dang yeah. Harris Ralph played in that. So, you know, you you've gone in. And how important has has that been? Where you can you can turn around and say now, the first yeah. part of the season's gone. I've played against some good cricketers. It's now about what I do for the rest of the season um, with that under your belt because, you know, like Manus said, you're one of the leading run scorers in the country on good pitches against good bowlers. Where do you see the next part or what the next challenge is for you? Well, first part, I think, the first part of your career, absolutely. I've, I have taken a lot of confidence from scoring runs against those bowlers, you know, and it's nice to, yes, we played on good wickets, um, but I think what I'm, taking confidence is my ability to apply myself um, and get through the new ball against a good attack. Uh, Lanks, as you said, Yorkshire, Essex. I mean, it's not really a, a huge let-up. You know, Surrey also have a very good attack. They have different challenges. Um, they have a bit more pace and balance, those boys. So, constantly challenged. And um, I think I have taken confidence from getting through those periods, you know, those tough periods, and, and then earning the right to score runs when the batting's a bit more favourable. In terms of the next part, I think, you know, we've got a block of T20 cricket. 
I I obviously want to try and, and get better in that format too, you know, the way the game's moving. If you can play all three formats, that's obviously an ideal place to be. I've got this game coming up against New Zealand on Thursday for this um, Counties 11. So my focus, my immediate focus will be there. But then moving forward, uh, we've got a block of white ball cricket. So I'm going to try and try and see where my game's at there and, and see if I can improve. But it's not actually that long until the next set of four-day cricket is around. It's about three and a half weeks. So that's the next step. Ben, it would have been uh, your grandfather's 104th birthday yesterday. The, the great one. Uh, everybody knows who Dennis Compton is. But just um, just give us a, a, a 15 second pricey of the of the Compton family tree would you and your relationship with Nick and I ask because people will be wondering if there are any other Comptons who are going <laughs> to pop up into our consciousness soon well uh, if there are um, there might be manners I, I never know um, but um, Nick we have quite a small uh, circle it's just my Nick's my first cousin um, obviously our dads are brothers and I've, we both got sisters but I think Nick was the, the sort of um, closer role model for me growing up. You know, I was 13, 14. He was a young player at Middlesex and playing at Lords and, you know, all those things flying around, like a Compton playing at Lords. And, you know, I sort of wanted to see if I could have a piece of that one day, you know. And, um, but, uh, you know, and then obviously Dennis, I think Dennis passed away when I was four. So I, I sort of missed learning about what he'd done and achieved in his career. It was only through stories and, people telling me and you know old old guys at the ground who sort of said oh i watched your grandfather in 1957 or something like, like manners <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and oh it's all lovely to hear and i, I sort of i look at it in a, in awe really but just because i never experienced or watched it so it's it's nice to hear but that's the that's the dynamic yeah in a nutshell do you have to pinch yourself, Ben, um, in the last sort of six weeks, especially with selection to the to the county's uh, select eleven? Um, I mean, many people are talking about it like it's a it, you know it's a it's a lions it's a lions mm. selection, but I mean it's a, you'd think back eighteen months ago, you know, in the depths of the pandemic when you were struggling for a game in the twos, struggling for a game actually, um, yeah. and uh, and and here you are. I mean, you know, and people talking about you playing for England now. It's a tricky question. I think um, I've certainly worked very hard behind the scenes for a long time to try and make sure that when I did, if I got an opportunity to play, you know, a good crack of first 11 cricket, then my game was in decent order. So I tried to work ahead of time in that respect. So whilst it might come as a, I mean, I, I couldn't have imagined the start I've made in terms of the consistency. I would have liked to have thought, Given a full year's cricket, I might have had certain targets. Um, for a lot of those targets to have happened in the first six weeks is obviously something I'm very happy about. But, you know, I've tried to work. I work, like I said, very hard behind the scenes to make sure that my game's in good order. So it might seem a surprise from the outside, but um, I've worked very hard to try and achieve the things I have thus far. But, you know, I, it's, it's a funny thing, cricket, isn't it? It moves very fast, sports in general. You know, and a few good performances here or a few not so good performances, things change. You know, cricket's a funny game and uh, you never know what's around the corner. So I'm always trying to just be pretty level headed, trying to understand that if I'm just doing the basics really well, I'm giving myself the best chance. And you talked about talked about the um, how funny the game is. You've you've been going out and opening the bat and with the England opening batter, you've outscored him in most 
if not all of the games <laughs> that you've played so far. First of all, how how is Zach? But also, is it a good thing for you to walk out with Zach and go and, well, he's the one that is in possession. This is how hard I've got to work if I want to if I want to overtake and potentially take his place if things don't go well for him. It's a tricky one. I haven't thought of Zach as, as competition, essentially. I've, I've just, uh, purely and simply, I've enjoyed batting with him. He's a hell of a nice young man. And um, I've enjoyed batting with him. He's a nice guy to bat with. I think we compensate each other well, certainly for Kent thus far. He's a bit more of a counter-puncher opening batsman. Um, so I think our roles gel nicely. Um, as I can soak up a bit of pressure early on and see off that new ball, blunt the attack of it, and then um, naturally I find my feet and score a bit quicker after that. We've had a good few opening partnerships together. I think Zach's found some form in the last uh, couple of games. He's looked really good. Um, played nicely against Surrey too, but was dismissed. You know, but he's, it looked like he was finding some of his best cricket again, which is nice to see. And yeah, I haven't looked past that to be honest. I mean, I just I've just enjoyed batting with him, and hopefully we can forge a successful opening partnership whenever he's playing for Ken again. Ben Compton, many many thanks for your time. Keep up the hard work. I can honestly say, I've never known anybody who deserves the success uh, as much as you do. Um, I, I know how hard you've worked, so keep it up, thanks, and uh, the world's your oyster. Thank you, man. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. That was uh, Ben Compton, uh, who was part of the County Select 11. He'll open the batting with Dom Sibley in that uh, game against New Zealand before the first Test match. Um, and uh, also included that, that team, Ryan Patel, Tom Haynes, Nick Gubbins, Michael Burgess, Ben Gibbon, Lyndon James, Liam Patterson-White, Jamie Porter, Ollie Robinson, and Jack Blatherwick, the left arm, Lancashire left-arm seamer. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll continue our review of round seven of the county championship and speak live with Hampshire fast bowler Keith Barker. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series 
in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts from. OK, let's uh, have a look at round seven of the county championship. I'm delighted to say, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined by Hampshire all-rounder Keith Barker who uh, took six for 27 in the latest win. Hampshire just uh, a couple of points behind Surrey now at the top of Division 1. Keith, many thanks for your time. 27 wickets at uh, 16 and a half. It's been a, been a fabulous um, start to the championship for you. But I wanted to ask you about the trio as well. I mean, bowling with Muhammad Abbas and Kyle Abbott, who've got 26 and 19 wickets, that is a formidable seam attack. You must be enjoying that. Yeah, I mean... From last year, when we when we knew we were getting more Abbas, I, I was in awe of kind of having two great opening bowlers playing in the same team, and they've been unbelievable for us. They've been outstanding every, every game so far. What, what's the, the, the thinking behind Abbo um, bowling first change? I think he spent most of his career taking the new ball, but uh, you and Mo Abbas have been preferred with it now. Yeah, I, um, not always. It depends. I mean, I think it was Graham Welch. So that my I think my average to left handers is like fourteen. So if there's left handers at the top, then Abba will probably come sec, uh, first change. But it just depends on who's opening up with uh, opposition with bat- batters. Really, how important is you mentioned Graham Wells there? How important is Pop because he's come down. He, you've gone down to Hampshire. He's he's come yeah. down. He's a very very good bowling coach. And I know the three years are very. Uh, experienced, yeah, young fuller as well, with a little bit more pace. But how important is having that sort of sounding board on on this side, just to just so just to make sure that you're going in the right direction? I think I think he's the best bowling coach there is. To be honest, obviously worked with him at Warwickshire, and not just he's not just a good bowling coach. It's the fact that he gets he understands how to get a bowling unit working together as one, and all kind of working towards the same goal and looking looking out for each other which I don't think is easy, but somehow he, he finds a way of doing that and getting the best out of everyone that he's worked with. So um, I'd say he's pretty, pretty important, if not vital, to the success we're having at the moment. And somebody else that's a leader, uh, James Vince. You, know, you talk, many teams that talk about, you know, directions and authority and, and setting the right environment. You've got a captain who's been a captain for a while. He's even talk about James Vince's sort of international hopes not finished yet. Um, what do you see on that? Haven't seen the England squad. Does Vince think do you still think James fits in? Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, and it's happened for a long time, is he never gets a run in the squad, I don't feel. I feel, I feel like he's in for one or two games. And if he doesn't perform straight away, or he's back out. Um, and I think that's quite hard because he's such a good player and he scores runs so willingly. That sometimes players can need a little bit more of a run than one or two games, then they're back out of the squad. But I think he's more than capable of being in that in that England squad for sure, 100. percent And he's been a, he's been a great leader, great leader for Hampshire. 
Keith, we talk a lot about age on this program, mostly because we talk about Jimmy Anderson every week. <laughs> but um, honestly, you're 35, but if you were 25 or 28, you're all over the England squad, aren't you? I don't. I have no idea. The powers that be would have to answer that kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like with where I'm at with my skill and kind of understanding my body and bowling, I'm probably the best I've been. But, you know, back when I was 27, 28, I wasn't doing too bad then, but... Um, still seem quite difficult to, to get anywhere near a Lions call-up, never mind the England stuff. So that's not down to me. I just try and do what I can. You got over 400 wickets at 24. I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're having a, a one-off good season. You've been doing it for a decade or more. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was in and out, this, well, more out of the squad than in until I was probably 25. And I'd, I've had quite a good run for the last nine, ten, ten years of my career. I don't know, I've, I've I've been fortunate enough to, like I said, work with Graham Welch and be in successful teams. So I think that some people will say I'm unfortunate. Some people may say I'm not capable of doing anything at the international level. That's their opinion. But we'll never know. But I just do what I can, do what I can for Warwickshire and, uh, sorry, Hampshire and Warwickshire when I was playing for them. Yeah, 400, 400 wickets at 24 says that you've done enough to to keep nudging them down the road. And look at Hampshire's season so far. And, you know, six games in. Championship's gone now when it comes into to white ball games. Hampshire, one of the fancy teams, along with Surrey and Yorkshire and Lancashire. How would you put what's happened in the, the six games into words and where you feel Hampshire are? Because obviously they're one of the title contenders, but how do you feel as though the, the first six games have gone? Um, I think they've gone really well for the Surrey game. We, when we're aware, we always start well. I think as the games can go on, we kind of lose a bit of concentration previously over the years but we've managed to bounce back from a, a poor Surrey performance uh, from, from ourselves and we got straight back on the horse and beat Kent which was quite important I feel I think we went from last day against Lanks they needed 321 I think or 325 and we felt pretty confident we'd have actually bottomed out unfortunately rain held out the whole day but I, cannot, I think that kept us in good stead and I think we just have more belief look at the team it's kind of primed to win I think at this point in our careers and our stage of playing it as a squad. So we're trying to make the most of that and do everything we can. Keith, we need to talk briefly about balls, if we can, please, because uh, there have been there've been a few problems with the Dukes. Uh, this, well, according to some bowlers, um, Stuart Broad said it was like bowling with a ball of plasticine, but it hasn't stopped you, Moa Bass and Kyle Abbott from uh, taking 70 wickets between you. No, I think, well, I, I wouldn't say it's just this season. I think the last few years have been pretty poor. There's not been uh, an innings, I'd probably say, with a ball before 50 overs has gone out of shape and it's been changed once or twice. Um, the new batch that we had uh, the last game against Somerset were a lot better. The seams weren't as thick, but you could tell the, the way the ball was. It, it seemed like it was going to hold its shape better. But we were also on a very lush surface, so it'd be interesting on a more abrasive wicket how the ball reacts from that. Uh, but, yeah, we've, we've gone well. I think we've... Just going back to like performances that we've done, we've just had clear plans and stuck to them and had the analysis of how we look to, to bowl at batters and weak points. And we've, not just me, Mal and Abba, but they said James Fuller, Ian Holland have been massive, Liam Dawson and Felix Hogan have all chipped in as and when needed. Um, there's been some important wickets by those guys, uh, which has helped us get over the line. Keith, one away from sort of Hampshire and from question for the experience and that the, the knowledge of, of Keith Barker who's played you know quite a lot of, a lot of cricket whenever you play the Ashes whenever 
England don't do well. County cricket gets knocked. Um, and with these balls that haven't been sort of up to the standard over the course of the last so six or eight weeks, do you think this has been a, a help that international teams will be better or better prepared if you've got runs on the board, if your batters are in form and scoring runs? Do you think the ball has helped contribute to a lot more runs scored this year, which hopefully will make it a more of a, a better contest? Um, I know I'm talking as a fast bowler here and not wanting runs. I'm actually am wanting runs. I want the game to be better. And I think when the game's better, it's when batsmen are scoring runs and making it more of a, a contest between bat and ball. Do you think these balls not sort of producing um, and not doing as much has helped you know, contribute to the fact that there's been a lot more runs scored, which is better for county cricket? I think so, yeah. I, I do think there's been certain players that you've seen, there's quite a few batters that aren't far off a thousand runs already. And they, I think they've been in very good stead of how they've gone about the cricket. The ball's not doing as much, but it does make it more competitive for sure. You've, as a bowler, you can't just let it go and put it up there and feel like, oh, yeah, you're in the game. You really have to have something on it. You've got to be hitting the deck hard and have a plan, really have a plan of field you're setting. Maybe a batter that's been, been in might not be on many runs, but actually let's not waste our balls on that, that batsman. The other batsman's under pressure. Let's put it on him. Really having some types of ideas and plans of how you're going to go about your cricket has made it more competitive, I find. And Keith, finally, for those people who don't know, you started your professional sports career as a footballer. So I have to ask you, what, what did you think of the last day of uh, the Premiership? And, and what do you think of the, the Man City-Liverpool duopoly in English football? Well, I'm a United fan, so it hurts either way, whichever team it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, I think it's been great. We talk about it in the change rooms um, a lot. It's more now about the depth of your squad more than, more than you start in 11. And I'm a big fan of like Liverpool, how they've done things. They've not spent overspent money and this and the other. But I think it's been the Premier League's been great this year if you're not a United fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been competitive. And to have games go down to the last day of the season, like even with Everton, not almost Lampard obviously nearly getting, <laughs> taking them down almost, trying to save them. It's, it's been entertaining. Like, unbelievably entertaining. Keith, keep up the good work. Keep taking Bumble. the wickets. And uh, you never know. There could be that late call-up. We're all uh, hoping for you. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Cheers, guys. Keith. That was Hampshire all-rounder Keith Barker in terrific form, as we said. 27 wickets at 16 and a half. Um, and for more content on the County Championship, don't forget you can listen to our brand new show, Following on County Cricketer which will be available as a podcast every Thursday morning. And it'll also go out here on TalkSport 2 at 9am on Thursday. So you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll hear again from England's Managing Director of Men's Cricket, Rob Key, who's been discussing the appointment of Matthew Mott as the new white ball head coach. Um, it was uh, confirmed a week ago, just under a week ago, that uh, Matthew Mott, the former Victoria batsman, and uh, Australian ladies coach um, was uh, going to be the new white ball head coach, you, I suppose, surpassing or usurping Paul Collingwood, who was many people's favourite. Let's go straight to uh, Rob Key once again, the uh, managing director of men's cricket, um, and hear w- how he explained the appointment. His mentality and his philosophy is completely aligned with what we want to do, and more importantly, what that England white ball side has done and done since when was it, 2015, since the 2015 World Cup. So I think that the decision-making process was about someone who wasn't going to come in and disrupt that environment. They obviously have a very strong leader in Owen Morgan, 
but also subtly enhance it along the way. And then when there's a transition, whenever that might be, a transition in leadership as much as anything else, they're the right person to then take it into the next era. And also what he's done in the women's game, what he's done with that Australian side is very much actually, you could argue, is where the England team are when he took over the Australian women. And what he's been able to do with them, I don't think should be underestimated really. And how he's gone about it, I think it's been a serious achievement. He has he has made the gap greater between the rest of the pack in that in the women's game. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. That was Rob Key um, explaining why Matthew Mott was the outstanding candidate to be the new white ball head coach. What's the word around uh, the circuit, Harmy? Um, is, it, uh, is it an inspired choice? Is it based on statistics and analysis? Is it because he is a friend of Brendan McCullum's and uh, can f- form a, a working partnership with him? Or did he just impress Rob Key with his knowledge? I think it's a bit of everything, to be honest. I think what he's done for the Australian women's side um, is, I think what probably Rob Key is looking at the England's men's white ball side is that it was head and shoulders as good as not better than anybody else in the world. But he wanted to take to a a whole new level and Matthew Mott's done that for the, the Australian women's side. They are now just unstoppable. So that's what probably Rob Key's looking at. I feel for Paul Collingwood. I actually thought Paul Collingwood in the West Indies did a great job. I really did. And I was on the field every morning, every afternoon and every evening, seeing closely how he was working, the environment that we, that was in. And I thought Paul Collingwood did a yeah, an excellent job for, for England. And apart from that one sort of bat and collapse in Grenada, you could see there was, I think there was improvements um in the in the in the group. But I think the, the biggest point that you you raised and you mentioned. He's close to Brendan McCullum. And that is something I think is important, very important, that the white ball coach and the red ball coach work in sync. Because if they don't work in sync, then we're going back to the, the Giles Flower era where just it was just clearly two coaches didn't work. So I think if Keezy's got it right, it's important that, that the white ball and the red ball coach are in sync with each other. They are close to each other. They know each other really well. You mentioned the Brendan McCullum. I think it's more Owen Morgan. I think this is a Owen Morgan's got a lot to do with you know the the, the coaches that have been selected. Um, very close to Brendan McCullum, both personally and professionally, um, through his IPL connections, and also they're very very close and very good friends. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. But again, I'll come back and I'll get on my high horse again. I feel as though I'm throwing everything tomatoes and everything at the ECB, but this ECB coaching system isn't working. It's not working. We have had level one, two, three, and four for a number of years now. And it just seems that the only people that can get people that can get through it, you know, it's an education side of it that puts a lot of former cricketers off, puts me off. You know, out of school, didn't do any GCSEs, struggled to read me write read and write my name at times. But I know the game. I understand the game and I can and I know the game inside out. But I wouldn't do level three or level four because yeah, literally, I couldn't do it. My education, I couldn't do it. And that, for me, seems to be a problem because there's something not right with our system if we are not producing England coaches. We've got a 100 competition, which is an ECB competition, which for the first time, we're going to have one coach in it. We've got no real candidates other than Paul Collingwood for the top job. 
which concerns me. So for me, the ECB coaching manual is not fit for purpose. And that's something Rob Keane needs to address very, very quickly. Because talk about pathway to players, from 15s through to 19s, through to the academies and then on, we need to start preparing and producing coaches of our own. Because I can't see a good England coach going to coach Australia's white ball team or red ball team. Certainly don't see a good England coach, English coach going to coach the India's red ball or white ball team. So why is it we are constantly, and some of our best coaches have been foreign coaches, why is it constantly we are looking at foreign coaches to coach the England cricket team? It tells me that the coaching system is not fit for purpose. Seems to me, Harmi, that uh, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my old, old, oldest mates in the game, Grant Flower, tried for years and years to, uh, to, to he wanted to get his level four. But, you know, he's also, I mean, he's a very, very smart guy, knows the game, not dissimilar to you at all, but he's not particularly academic. And he just couldn't get through. I mean, it was like doing a, you had to write a thesis. Mm. It was like doing a, you know, a, a master's degree. Yeah. And it, it yes. just, it's exactly. And so it seems to me that whilst I understand the requirement for a, for a deep intellectual knowledge um, about, human psychology and and you know i mean i i kind of get that that's nice to have that but but is there some way to kind of have that academic knowledge to to be input into the cricketing knowledge so in other words like split the job almost like if you if you you know if you want to have the professor then you also need the cricket guy who actually understands what it's like well that's that's my issue with this whole system is that the ECB employs 350 people. You know, we talked about it earlier, about what the likes of David Cole, Mo Bobat, you know, the, the planning department, the, the planning department that's got a coach who's never coached before in first-class cricket, and number three, and I'll just um, I'll repeat myself, so I've, I've, got, I've said that before. You've got all these people in place. That, for me, is when it comes down to the coach. The head coach just is cricket. He's a cricket coach. He's somebody that sees the game, reacts to the game, understands the game, and prepares his team for the game. If he needs a psychologist, he employs a psychologist. Mm. Matters how many times have we seen? How many times have we seen an England photo where there's more manage, more, more backroom staff than there are our players? That frustrates. Mm. I love a lot of former players and go, "What on earth are these lot doing on that photo?" And that <laughs> for me is what I I think is wrong with sometimes with our system. Is that if you've got a coach, just then coach the game. This is, and this is probably what Rob Key's done with Brendan McCullum. Comes back and it quashes my argument about not coaching in first class cricket. The guy knows the game. That's why I think it's a good appointment. Guy knows the game. He understands the game. He knows how to create an environment that you need for international cricket. And he's the best man for the job. That's what Rob Key's thinking. So the coaching, for because, so because of that, the level three, level four coaching part of the system is not fit. And it's not working because we've gone with two guys who blow that all out of the water because hopefully they're just going to coach the individual players to be the best they possibly can over five days, the chance to win a cricket match. And that, for me, is what it it takes to be a coach in first-class cricket and international cricket. Okay, just a couple of minutes left um, to to tell you other pieces of news. India named a 17-man squad for their tour um, to England, which, of course, includes a one-off test matches, uh, a one-off test match and 
an ODI series and uh, a couple of T20s as well. Interestingly, for the second year in a row, they um, will be playing concurrent T20s. Uh, they also announced a 16-man squad uh, to play a five-match T20 series at the same time against South Africa in India. And frankly, you can look at both squads and, <laughs> and you'd, like, you'd like to put them head-to-head, to be honest. I mean, uh, the, the T20 squad is... Is phenomenal. There's only a couple of players who will cross over the two tours, KL Rahul and uh, and Rishabh Pant. But there's a, it's a very strong um, Indian team with uh, all, all the big big names um, being preferred for the England tour, obviously. Chiteshwar Pajara has returned um, and the chief Indian selector said that he had been discarded and it was purely his form for Sussex that was so compelling that, uh, that they said, well, we we can't leave him out now. So that's a nice little story. It is a nice little story, and it, it just shows you, no matter what age you are, if you put performances on the board, you've got a chance. I didn't think for one minute he would be brought back into it. But, look, he has. And like you said before, the two squads are ridiculous. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if both squads went on to win uh, to win, uh, to win, win their series outright. And that, for me, would be frightening for the game of cricket. And very, very finally, um, Kieran Pollard signed for Surrey. Of course, the uh, the, the big man goes to, uh, to the to the biggest checkbook. And O.S. Shah has returned to Middlesex as a white ball consultant. Just quickly, brilliant! I'm so pleased for us. O.S. is a he's a top man. He's a very, very good coach. Uh, somebody I think will will climb through the through the system. He obviously, he's, he knows Rob Key very, very well. I think he's great ideas on, on white ball cricket. Um, he's a fine player himself. And I'm pleased that Oasis is, is getting a chance. And another one with Middlesex, Hanscom's gone. Um, and Peter Milan has come in to replace Hanscom for the the rest of the first class, I think, games at the back end of the year, uh, who's somebody you know very well from over in South Africa, man. Indeed so, indeed so. Many thanks indeed, Harmy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week as we continue to build up to the first test between England and New Zealand. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.